Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Oh, hi, hi. Duncan. Hello. And a Jeff. Yellow. This episode, we are going to be talking about two movies. To me, The One Who Loved You, and to you... <laughs> to me, the one who loved you, and to you, ah, to you, the one that you've loved before. I mean, you've already said it once. To me, to me, the one who will have, the will have once upon again loved you. No, to me, the one who loved you, and whoever you have loved before. And also, we're probably going to be talking about some shows we're watching. Got some stuff brewing in the background. So, um, these movies are based on novels released in 2016. They are two movies dealing with. Two sides of the same parallel universe coin. The novels are written by Yomiji Otono. The movies based on them, which came out in 2022, are... Um, Directed by Kenichi Kasai, written by Riko Sakaguchi, and star a bunch of people who have not done a lot of anime voice acting, honestly. Uh, Andy, this was your second. This is your recommendation. Uh, why did you pick this, and what do you think on a high enough level? Uh, so yeah, I picked this because uh, I heard that these films existed, and I thought that the concept that there are two movies out there that are sharing the same, I guess narrative structure but depending on which one you watch depends on how you interpret the movies sounded interesting to me and uh i wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for this show so i guess i forced you all to watch it we have a a fine tradition of doing that uh, back in the day so i I think i'm glad to return to being forced to watch something because someone thinks it's a bright idea and it was like the films are both based around Parallel universes and time, they call it like time slips or, or like time traveling. Um, one of them, Sliders. to me, to every you I've loved before, tells the story of Koyomi Takasaki and Kazune Takigawa as they fall in love, have a family. And then it's a very sweet romantic telling of two people falling in love over time. And then there's some weird science bullshit that happens at the end. And you're like, <laughs> OK, I guess that happened. Uh, and then there's to me I know which order Andy watched them (laughs) (laughs) to me the one who loved you which is a story about again Kiyomi Hidaka Hidaka, but she he has fallen in love with uh, Shiori Sato who's a childhood friend dies at a crossroads and then is and then is driven to try and save the ghost of her who is at a crossroad (laughs) and so yeah there's you're supposed to be able to watch them whatever way possible. And I feel mm-hmm. that maybe we'll get into this because I feel that's where it falls down. Um, yeah. And there's also, interestingly, there was a online vote as to what film you should watch first to be considered the chronological order. So I think we should all go around and say how we watch these movies. Me, personally, I watched um, To Ever You Have Loved Before first, which is the nice relationship getting old falling in love then weird (laughs) sci-fi shit happens in the end and then i watched to me the one who loved you which is the childhood friend drama uh jeff how about you uh i also (laughs) watched it in that order i couldn't tell you why i think i tried to figure out what was supposed to be the one you watch you watch first but then i found out that that there's literally (laughs) isn't one but (laughs) i I do have opinions on which one is supposed to be the main one I, I also went with To Ever You I've Loved Before because that sounded more depressing. So I wanted to get the <laughs> sad shit out of the way first and then the happy stuff. 
Ben, what did you want to watch? Uh, are we going to make this really boring? Because I also watched every you I've loved before <laughs> first, and then, and then watched to me the one who loves you. And I'm sorry, I have the worst rationale. Um, to every you comes first alphabetically in the, in the English <laughs> translation, so I watched that one first. And then finally, Duncan, how did you watch it? <laughs> and then Duncan broke broke the broke the continuality, broke the contract. Yeah, he chose the third path. <laughs> yeah, I just went, why not? Why why not both in split screen? Because yes, it, I am that person, the, the tech genius with like five different monitors. Like I'm watching, I'm watching it <laughs> forwards and backwards simultaneously. It's like yeah, plus them superimposed on each other. Like, are you the fucking hacker from Swordfish? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like I wanted Jesus, to make myself suffer for this, um, and therefore, as someone who who's on the ADHD spectrum, I forced myself to watch two films at the same time, which has completely drained me of all energy and actually meant I actually had to lie down afterwards um, because I was that ex exhausted of attention. Uh, when we get into the conversation, I will say I'm glad I did, although I'm also kind of scarred by it. I mean, it so. definitely would have made... Um the story it would have it it was less painful in many ways because it halved the runtime uh, <laughs> <laughs> i so the interesting thing is that we have all followed what was voted as the canonically correct way of watching these movies. really yes really which surprised wow. me too because i definitely feel that to me the one who loved you should be watched after before you watch to every you i've loved before Mostly because, yeah. like the sci-fi, um, the sci-fi bit with the with the dead best friend, which occasionally appears in the in the other film, like makes no sense. Makes no sense. Yeah. But and and I feel <laughs> that this is also the shortcomings of the movie, both of them actually, is that there is like in the back third, they explain both of the other movies. Like there yeah. is no conviction that people are going to watch both. And I think that's where it fails. If they had just like, if they had just gone without, there's, um, there's a letter that happens in the middle of to every you have loved before, which explains everything, everything about the last everything, movie. everything. Yep. Yeah. To the point where I'm like, why am I even going to watch this movie? I know it's going to be <laughs> bad because I don't care for the childhood romance plot line. I was really quite heavily invested and enjoyed seeing uh, Takigawa and Takasaki fall in love over time. And I thought it was really sweet. Um, and if they had just cut that bit out and, and just, just gone with like their timeline and the weird bits that happen at the end, then that would have made me invested in watching the other film to work out what happened. No, I agree completely. They, they seem to have either... I don't know. I don't know if this is what happens during the novels because I'm like looking at the at the the chapter structure and it's got a prologue or epilogue and then there are childhood, adolescence, adulthood, middle age, and each one is followed by an interlude and then there is epilogue or prologue and I think that they're meant to be kind of like that they're meant to to you're meant to pull a Duncan on the books. I don't necessarily think that works. I mean, obviously it works with the movies because Duncan is there smirking in the bottom left corner of my screen. Um, but for me, as someone who experiences linear time, um, I do agree that it shows it shows a remarkable 
it, it shows that they didn't believe that someone would have watched the movie as it stood and then gone and sought out the other one to find the other the other half of the story. And yeah. I think that's a mistake. It shows yeah. it shows uncertain storytelling. Um, it makes it takes away mystery. It makes the stories feel less complete by adding more stuff, which is yeah. a very mm-hmm. odd choice to make an, on an adaptational level. And yeah, I enjoyed immensely um, uh, Koyumi and Kazune's relationship. I, I, I love, I love exes. I love breakups. I love failures in relationship and just this like cold relationship that's created by the possibility of this brief slip in reality where he meets her from a reality where they're in love mm. and she explains to him, I'm not in love with you. I'm love, in love with the other Kiyomi, but if I could love him, then she could love you. And I think that's a, a great thing. And then just and then they take it out back and shoot it in the head with this long letter explaining the other movie's plot. And then a bunch of flashes of just like shots from the movie, which God, does that make me not enjoy in the second mm-hmm. movie when I'm like, oh, so I'm going to have a, a, a flash sequence of the entire plot of the other movie. Just like believe that you're telling a good enough story that people will want to seek out the other side yeah, of it. And yeah. then when they discover it's a it's a lost childhood friend trying to bring them back to life by changing the past, they can just turn it off because they, they've already <laughs> seen a complete movie uh, mm-hmm. with the first one. Yeah, um, yeah, I, or, or they've seen Anohana or they've seen Steins Gate right? as, as Jeff has clammed in the chat. Um, but like, and I, I really enjoyed like the themes that they brought up to Ever You Have Loved Before. I really, I also really like. So there's a bit uh, in the middle where their child um, gets uh, potentially comes up against this crazed killer and um, survives, gets hurt, but survives. Um, And then it cuts to another um, Kazune who's very possessive over the child. And at first they're like, well, she's the child just got into a massive accident. Like, it will happen. Of course, it's happened. It's natural for a mother to worry about these things, which is a bit reductive. But it then turns out that actually it's a Kazune from another timeline where the child did get killed and is like holding on to the child and want and doesn't want to let him go. Uh, and then eventually mm-hmm. they resolve that. But that is like interesting. That's- I mean, almost like someone who lost a childhood friend and didn't want to let them go. <laughs> yeah, yeah the parallels there but it it's less but, it's but, more subtle it's more interesting because it's from the mother's yeah perspective. And, and and also and also the fact that the child doesn't recognize the mother she's like where's where's my mom and like that like that's the exact opposite of the outcome of the story in um in I wish we had a faster way to see these movies uh it's Bokuai and Kimiai there you go uh, I don't I refuse uh but yeah, just 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 the fact that like it resolves because like you can't hold on to grief for decades and decades. I think is the thing. Like people like people change, possibilities come and go, and like I think fundamentally the the story of every to every you I've loved before, we're we're threatened with this idea that like our identities are atomized because every choice is made, mm. and so like we are not these distinct beings with these soup. Um, but it ultimately concludes mm. that like loving someone is embracing all the possibilities of the future and like which possibility you're currently living in is kind of academic in the face of like the whole experience. Um, yeah. And then they dump in a whole nother movie where, where, where they argue that like, no, like 
clinging to one thing and refusing to change is, is this laudable thing. And I appreciate that on the abstract of having these two themes juxtaposed. I just think one theme is more interesting and better executed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it happened to be the movie I, I watched first. <laughs> but I, I'm also just tired of childhood friends, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. but that's just me. I really enjoyed the, the sort of the philosophical question of if you, you know, if you can know that, you know, which time, you know, timeline you're in, and you have objective knowledge that every choice that you make is possible. How do you live with that? And mm-hmm. the answer they arrive on is, I would rather not know. They yeah. have these sort of like wristwatches that will tell you like what timeline you're in. And he's mm-hmm. ha- and uh, Koyomi is having this crisis of, you know, when I told uh, Kazune that I loved her and you know asked her to marry me and she said yes like which one was i talking to was it mine or was was it a different one and when they get married they both take off their little devices so they they have no idea yeah and and that was beautiful and that was like just over halfway through that movie (laughs) and then like ben was saying they just dump this other movie on top of you just to really hammer home the idea and i i really kind of wish that it is either just this one movie or they figured out some way of better integrating the two or just like editing them together and having a short like anime series instead all they need to do is cut out that letter and then place it where the 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 bit where they just show the backstory of the other universe in the first film and then it will be solved because, but then it wouldn't sync up with 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 Duncan's yeah, uh, his Duncan Duncan's dark side of Oz shit that he's doing. So which which letter are you ref- referring to? Because when one... um, when Ka- when other universe Causeway jumps into this universe Causeway's body to write the letter and set an appointment so that he can meet his his childhood love that he's never known in his life. I I know like this is maybe just because I I finished this this not long <laughs> ago oh but like that was within like fifteen minutes of the end of the film so I I do feel it's a bit harsh to say like oh you have another half of the film where where there's what what you have is you have him wrapping it up no, after that it, you it have it the starts it starts at the beginning of the film it starts with him going I've got this weird time the thing in my watch yeah but that's that's not the letter the letter yeah. happens with 15 minutes left to go it loomed it perhaps duncan it loomed larger being a, a total departure from the pacing and tone of of previous scenes yeah i just feel it it ruins the the, the other movie as well because i'm now like not interested in seeing the other movie because i know yeah. what happens and it's the same with the other film i feel that if you watch if you watched uh if you watched to me first you then see a thing where they they just show all of his their relationship like growing like in the smash cut and all that made me do is realize how much better the other movie was and how much (laughs) i wish i was seeing that again yeah i I noticed they very carefully took out the the, uh the the threat of the kid death and stuff it's just like all the happy memories Mm -hmm. of them together Mm -hmm. um there was that time i didn't really understand why there was two marriage shots like that was the thing that i guess Oh, that's their kids getting married, Andy. Oh. The faces don't look that different. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <In this. laughs> and then the other thing that makes me feel to me is first is that there is a post-credit sequence at the end of To Me, which shows um, which shows him the first opening scenes of uh, of for, To Every You. So it does feel like that's the wrong it's the wrong way around. Interestingly, the, um, To To Me runs longer than uh, To You. Um, basically yeah. after the, it's, it's got about perhaps 
30 seconds or so extra and has uh, the two young lovers reunited in spirit whereas they're reunited in the end of you as well uh, except they mm-hmm. they they meet as two old people who don't recognize each other but it's it's a, this really sweet little moment where he's he he's dropped his medicine and you think oh all right this is the moment he shuffles off the mortal coil and and then she meets him as a ghost and carries him along or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And instead, it's just like this, she, someone comes up and it's like, you think, oh, is, is it going to cut to like this young hand reaching his as he passes away and meets a ghost? But no, it's, it's, it's just another, it's an old lady and who we quickly realize is his, his lost love. And they, she's just like, oh yeah, I've, I've had a, I've had a great life. I'm, I'm happy. Have you? Yeah, I've had a good life and I'm happy. And it's like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, there are some encounters I do like, and and that one especially, because I do think Koyomi is so rigid and frozen with grief in, um, in To Me, The One Who Loved You. And so to have him go through all these sci-fi twists and turns and then meet his childhood love, I'm putting it in scare quotes because I'm a crusted over cynic, <laughs> meeting his childhood love as a stranger and just like being happy that she had a good life. It does vindicate what he says to her where, where um, when Kazane is trying to like, be like, this is no, like, it's not going to accomplish anything. Like you're never going to know her. So you won't know that you did what you need to do. And it, like, it didn't matter. Like he, he was able to find happiness in, in the presence of someone who was ultimately a stranger to him because he'd like finally gone on and lived his life. And I did like that. It didn't, when, when your whole movie is around a character who just won't grow because he's he's hung up on a childhood promise, them childhood promises, as we we, we titled one episode, uh, it just I don't know. But I do like that moment of it as being a very beautiful like recognition that like there are things that you will not benefit from in life. There are you, there are chances and decisions you take that you won't know the outcome of, and they are nonetheless worthy because they are a decision that you've made. Um, the, the consequence is almost irrelevant on a certain level. So I liked that. I just didn't like the rest of that. Movie. I felt very much that the, that really sweet moment when uh, Kazune like looks at him like longingly as he just like trundles off down the road, wondering, is this <laughs> going to be the same husband that I knew and I married, or is this going to be a different one? And he trolls her when he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't remember you. She's like, mm, I can tell it's you. <laughs> that was quite sweet. Yeah, like, so if if anything, it shows that just holding on to this to this like unacquirable love just didn't work. Like, his ghost was the one that set her free when he died, but it just happened to be at the same time that he did the time slip. Whatever the. Fuck. I think that's an uncharitable read of what they're of what they're reaching for, but it's definitely one you can make. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I was really interested in, like, and and again, like. This was much more considered and deliberated into you to every you. It, it is that feeling of like, you know, the the um, Schrodinger's cat. Like, if I had watched, if I watched to me, I might have felt completely different about to every you because of the way that I watched it. And I also got really like philosophical over the idea that in into me there is. Uh, Kazune will is, always loves Koyomi, regardless in these two timelines. But then there, is there, there must also be a timeline where Koyomi loves Kazune and that love is also not fulfilled back. Like, there's so many divergent timelines that I felt could have been an interesting thing to follow as well. But I guess that's not really what they were trying to accomplish here. 
Well, there is a spinoff novel um, that is Shiori in another timeline, like living a different life, which I, th- I don't know. It, it, it is it, it does bring the question. And Duncan, I really want you to, like, talk more <laughs> about the convergences and, and everything else, because I do think that these these stories are ultimately too adjacent to each other and they end up stepping on each other's toes. And that's why I, I think the other three of us are like really about like picking which one was the good version of this story, because they do feel like two versions of the of the same story, but with like weirdly opposed themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we end up picking the one whose themes we like better, which as as <laughs> three men in yeah. middle age is, is, of, <laughs> is of course, like the, the steady this the steady slowly growing like mutually respectful love and not this like desperately clinging to this childhood crush because you tried to run away to another reality and she she quantum leaped into a body that was about to get hit by a car yeah, uh, yeah and I, I can imagine the younger audience probably likes to me a lot more as well right yeah because yeah. they probably also haven't already seen steins gate now yeah <laughs> and, but also cousin is just is clearly best girl by huge yes. and yeah, objectively. massive margin yes absolutely 100% in, in all timelines she's just like a nice smart yeah. competent see, woman see they, they could have taken out that marriage in the first film when they go through the marriage they could have taken that out and shown slices of Shiori's life as she's alive without knowing Koyomi M- maybe in another timeline Andy they did but not in yeah. this one <laughs> And this one, it's sadness and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a world line where this is where our opinions are the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from Duncan, who's just yeah. gone full. Who is exactly the same. Yeah, he's the, the, the Kwisaz Haderach, the fulcrum of the lever. <laughs> like, I was distinctly like, am I going to ruin this for myself by watching it, it them together? Am I just going to completely overwhelm myself and miss everything? And there's actually not going to be anything intertwined between them. And then three minutes in, we have a, this scene where in one uh, movie, he, he, he says, like, the first time I made a major choice in my life was when I was seven. And in the, the other one at that exact time, they're at a T-junction and he's following uh, his his childhood love the other way. And it's, it's like, okay, you clearly have some commitment to this idea. Let's see how far you go with it. And the answer is they go with it from minute three to minute 120, whatever. Like, I can only admire the editing team on this because... Holy shit. The amount of effort it must have gone through to sync these up to actually go, okay, we're going to we're gonna have like dozens upon dozens of dozens of moments where a character will say something in one screen and the character will react to it and it will be a comment on something which is happening in the other scene. Almost the standout one for me was uh, just after, um, I forget. See, this is the thing. I forget his childhood friend's name because uh, she was that, that memorable. Shiori. Shiori. Yeah. Shiori. Um, just after... The, classic, uh, classic dead childhood friends name. Yeah, because <laughs> just just after that uh, uh, that death happened in to you, he's been going through a bit of a, a dilemma about whether whether or not uh, cousin A is actually the cousin E from his timeline or one from a different other, and he's 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 finally plucked up the courage to talk to her, and he catches up to her on her her bike at, at a uh, crossroad, and you get the shot of him looking directly at her, and there's a the, the the crossing behind her and at the exact same time on the other screen you've got a shot from distance of him looking at uh, Shuri on the crossroad and it's like two perspectives 
two entirely different perspectives on characters in the same position, but different characters. And it's like, it, it, you could almost be shooting the, it from two cameras within the same scene, but it's different people. The commitment to, to like sync that up, there's this uh, moment at the end where they're sending the divergent uh, time, Kazani, back to her timeline. And she's inside the, 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 the possibility machine. And she t turns to look out at at him, and in that exact same moment on the the other screen, he's looking out at Shuri from inside the the machine himself. And it's it's like these little moments where they've just made sure things sync up absolutely perfectly. Where in one shot he's he's with with his family, and the other he's he's just saying, "Please don't leave me alone." To the ghost of Shiori. Or there were also some where, which were, I don't know if they were comical on purpose or comical um, accidentally, but there was there's one where he's he's like, "Oh, Kazuni uh, and I started having study sessions," and in the other one, he's jumped into a uh, a timeline where he's he's sleeping with. So it's it's like the classic right, teenage I, right, world world eighty five or whatever it is that yeah. where they're where they were dating early and often. Yeah, teenage study sessions. <laughs> Just yeah, I'm, I'm I'm studying with my girlfriend on honest. Sir. It's, 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 don't <laughs> worry, we're, we're, we're good kids. It's, it's all good. I was going to ask a question about the mechanics of jumping, and I, I super don't want to know them. I don't want to know if, like, Koyomi is, like, special, and that's why he, like, gets to jump between different realities so much. Super, super don't care. That, that wound me up as well. <laughs> I, I didn't care for that. I, what I did get the impression was, was that you, it's sort of similar to dreams and sort of similar to, like, future premonitions, because she already also yeah. has a bit where she's like, I wanted to, I've dreamt that I saw you as an old person and said, like, whatever it is that stupid line she says. Um, so I, I feel that, I feel that she's, I feel that he is not special. I will say for the listener who's going crazy right now, they do explicitly say that he is special and that these guys are just don't care, which is fine. That's valid. I also am not super interested in the mechanics of it because it's not very well executed. They say it yeah. theoretically. I think that it's like a thing. They say it in, as a throwaway line whilst yeah. contemplating the actions of him. Um, but I genuinely feel that it was the future of the science that happens, especially in the to every you, where they find out that there is ways to jump, there is ways to hack into the other timelines. Like he isn't special. Yeah, right. I uh, reader, you I, and me, we know that he's wrong, so we're just not gonna. <laughs> yeah, well, if if we stop the podcast every time to like argue with Andy about plot details or argue with anybody about plot details, I mean, I. You, you do bring up a good point that I that at, at at once, which is, I guess it's to be expected when you have a a uh, a, a set of movies about parallel realities. At once, I really like all the science stuff. I like that this is someone who clearly thought about like what the burgeoning field of parallel realities and imaginality and mm. imaginary mm. elements mm. and all that. Like they do a good job. I bet in the book. It's great to like have them like working out like the science uh, of this and have it have it be something that the character is, is obsessed with as opposed to just being obsessed with this childhood friend, which seems juvenile to me. Yeah, I, I did like that. And at the same time, I felt like it often distracted from the emotional core of the movie because people would be talking about how they were reacting to stuff and they'd be talking about it in terms mm -hmm. of made up science. And that immediately yeah. like would yeah. poke, a bit of, uh, poke holes in my enthusiasm because I'm like. Like when you're talking about the loss of somebody having talk about, oh, their imaginality reached the the like yeah. event radius. And I'm just like, oh, no, 
Yeah. That's not even how real scientists talk about stuff. No one, no one's like, I'm sorry about your father. And it's like, yeah, well, his atoms reached a state of terminal thermodynamic decay. And therefore <laughs> he is no longer a conscious being among us. However, there are some signs that like, no, like it, it really, it, it, it often made it feel sterile in a show that is a set of movies that are almost entirely about people's human reactions yeah. to like unknowable physical forces fucking with their relationships. And like mm-hmm. yeah. one of the weird things about watching both of the movies is that I feel that to me, um, the movie to me, to me, <laughs> the movie to me, the one who loved you is, is uh, that, that it kind of implies that um, to every you is, is a result of like the cosmic fuckery of, of another timeline and actually kind of delegitimized a lot of the characters' decisions because they're being made by someone who's merged with his past self, who went back in time to save his childhood friend, to blah, to blah, to blah. I think it often like, I guess it's it's the same as what we were complaining before about over-explaining the premise and not like leaving mystery because I think it's cool that they have this emerging science. I think that they are uncomfortable with it and they want you to to understand the quantum mechanics of how all this bullshit played out by the end of the movie. And I don't need that. I want to understand how the characters feel. And I think they kind of abandoned that by the end of the by the end of both movies, honestly. I think you're hundred percent right right about that to one degree, but equally, like I do think like <laughs> Once again, the saving grace is Kazuni, because like her 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 decision <laughs> is is basically right. I I'm gonna go like you, you talk about her like the whole idea that their timeline's messed up by fate, and yet she's as as Jeff put it like she decides to basically create a, her own meat cute. Like at the at the <laughs> moment, it's the exact moment Andy's talking about where when in me uh, Shiro is is talking to him about how I had this dream where in every timeline we were together. Yeah, that exact moment, uh, Kazumi's saying to him, "Yeah, we're dating in that my timeline." <laughs> it's just it's like. Yeah, girl knows what she what she wants, and she, uh, she's gonna get it. And like, it was just so funny. You just seeing this star-crossed lover uh, thing happening in one thing, and and in the other one, this girl just being like, "Yeah, we're d- dating, but I don't actually like you at the same same time." Which was like, t- <laughs> like somehow s- s- going and doing um, sundry uh, with time displacement. So she's like, "I like a, I like a future version of you. I just don't like you." I really liked her little when she was just like, "Shall we go out then?" Like, yeah, yeah. Like after yes. he's confessed to her like ten times in a row and shot down, she just yeah. kind of like, and she's brutally, brutally shut him down in front of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're just like eating like ramen bowls, and she's like, "Hey, you want a date?" And he's he's like, he's like, "You want to go out?" And he's like, "What do you mean, like for for food?" She's like, "No, I mean, go out." He's like, Bleh. "Yeah, it's that, that moment's so good." Yeah. And at that exact same point in the other movie, uh, Karuni saying, "I'll always be at your side." Like to actually make sure these moment, like the moment where his his relationship is 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 actually he clicks into place in one timeline is the exact moment where he's getting told by the the woman he can ne- he can never really meet up with again, who he's become as- obsessed with. That they'll they'll always be together in spirit is is kind of like crazy that, that that they went to the lengths to make sure those synced up and I, yeah i can't even gonna say this but i do feel like i got a better experience of watching these together and maybe you should do it if you're thinking of watching <laughs> these films oh my God. um 
Uh, for those of us if, with multi-monitor setups. No, yeah. no, or even a single monitor and you just split them half and half if you've got a decent-sized monitor. There is one interesting <laughs> thing, though. Um, it's technically desynced by three slash four seconds because in the uh, intro of one, there's one extra company has to jam its logo in. And so it desynced. Oh, really? I, I, I was like, oh, it's, I, I, when the first thing happened, I thought, oh, that was really close. And then I went back to the beginning and I, 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 I saw that, oh, there's one more company in, uh, logo in the intro. And I was like, Ah, uh, yeah, corporate acknowledgement can't can't fuck with that. <laughs> the artistic intent of someone who's who's gone to this uh, extent of of time syncing two entire movies, nah, getting our sponsors in there, gotta do it. Oh yeah, um, and I think that that ultimately displays like I think this movie was absolutely far more clever of a technical achievement than it ever was as an emotional connection, and I think that's unfortunate, but. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think watching the other totally ruined uh, to every you that I've loved before. Mm. I definitely, I just, yeah, I definitely prefer that one. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly just, and this is a, something that we've returned to again and again, even with just Ben's refrain of trying to make people watch Kare Kano. It's just like I feel like adult love stories about stable relationships are very rare in anime, and so. Just seeing Koyomi and Kazune like slowly build a happy life together, and even when crazy shit like Kazune from another reality coming to like overmother their child after an accident um, happens, it still like feels like a very grounded story. While like God, the uh, the like the brilliant driven loner working way above his his intellectual level to try to like rescue the the soul of his childhood love decades on like i've seen i've seen that story so many mm, times yeah. and i don't think this brings anything to the table i have i know nothing about shiori i don't know what like food she likes i don't know what she likes to do for fun i don't know anything except she wants to marry koyomi when they're grown up and then they freak out and <laughs> and, and take a really extreme action that has extreme consequences when they hear that their parents are together and i do appreciate that that their parents were like you know you, you guys could still have married this is I a love 100% that bit. The romeo that and juliet so situation funny. i was like let's watch that movie and not the other one yeah she just got a, oh, an overall bad. Over bad experience because she was like this is bad and i'm like but the other movie's better you should have watched that anyway she was like saying the same thing i was saying like they can still get married, though. And she was like, "No, I'm like, yeah, they can still get married. They're, they're just, they're just not related by blood." Yeah, like, yeah. There they needed to be a world line where they both watched a domestic girlfriend, and then we're like, "Oh, okay, actually, this is this is fine." <laughs> I, there was once again another crossover at that point, where at the exact point, uh, their parents had called them together to tell them of their future marriage plans. That's that's the moment uh, Kazuni's uh, uh, going up to Kiyomi and saying, "Okay, uh, we need to we need to talk about something." It's, 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 it, I, I'll explain everything to you. And at that exact moment <laughs> on the other screen, we're getting married. And that obviously then on one side, you have them in the karaoke parlor, uh, having that, that little meet cute where she tells him she's from a, a different timeline. And uh, I, I still don't know whether or like, cause she, she, we know that um, she sort of double, fakes him out with uh you, like we, we they introduced this idea of of these uh like uh time watches which tell you how far you are from reality and then she's like 
uh, yeah, I had a sticker on mine. And you're like, okay, <laughs> when did you do that? Ah! Which is clearly clearly the effect they're going for because they, they want to get across. Like, we shouldn't be, like, we shouldn't care about that continuity because as their marriage makes clear, like, whatever love they have or whatever connection they have, it, it doesn't matter and uh, which how far apart they've come from or or if she's from 85 or if she's from zero, like that, that connection's there. And I, I did en- enjoy her pulling that on him and just how completely yeah. stressed out he got by it. But I, I think I got so many moments where characters are talking to each other across the streams You've you've missed out on Koyumi proposing to to Kazumi in, in one saying marry me and in the other her her replying could you ditch the formality and just just like these these wonderful little back and forth which just don't technically exist in the, uh, the linear telling of either film and it reminds me of like if if you've ever been to a, a fine art, art show and they've got a, a it's a fairly common thing where someone will have two videos playing same time and there'll be moments where they'll sync and those one mo- those tiny moments where something syncs are always feel far mm. more meaningful because of all the noise of the rest of the moments and i'm sure that's what's happening to me all these moments which are like oh wow look at those two things locking together like I, i'm sure those moments wouldn't be half as impactful if i hadn't been going through the sensory storm of watching two films at the same time yeah. i mean our brains are are built to find those connections are built our brains are built to to find the face and the visual noise and to hear our name in to hear our, our name in a conversation like we're we're, mm. we're meant to pick out predators in the trees so basically. Like, that's, like our brains are set up that way not to be like all evolutionary bio but like yeah. so i do think that there that there is a value to these kind of puzzle boxes where like meaning suddenly creates itself out of out of parallel experiences but i just think that this is a, definitely a show where they like went after that way too much and like made worse movies because of it and like i'm always a proponent that like should cut 10% off of whatever yeah. you think is the final the final product if you're doing a creative thing. And like, man, I would have loved to see the last 15 minutes chopped off of both of these movies. And it, it would have been a lot better. And I, I get it. I get, you don't mm-hmm. want the dumbest person to go out and say, like, the movies didn't make any sense. I don't see how they were connected. And, and yeah, art should be for dumb people, too. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that, like, they underestimated their audience here. I think mm-hmm. people, people are... are, are even the most like incurious person knows that when you make a choice, only one outcome happens, even though both were possibilities a second ago. (laughs) And I feel they could have just relied on people's natural awareness of how we move through reality. I don't know. (laughs) I sound like I didn't like this. And I think every podcast I bemoan that I sound so jaded. I did like the first movie and the second I would have liked it if I hadn't watched Anohana or, Steinsgate, yeah. or there's probably a couple others I'm thinking of. Um, it's just it's a very well trodden yeah. story, and to be honest, the the idea of like twin interrelated novellas is pretty well trodden. I remember a few years ago I was reading uh, J Y Yang's or Neon Yang, I guess they're going by now. Um, like they wrote two novellas about two twin siblings who'd taken different routes, and those also were like n- neither one is first. You can read them in any order, and then I read them in an order and then I read online that that's the wrong order because there's more details in one that you need for the other than in the other you need for one. It's just, it was a fad in the mid mid 2010s to, to do this sort of thing clearly in sci-fi fantasy. And I think they're all kind of compromised in a way because of it, because like, because on the one hand, 
stories need to be complete. And on the other hand, you have to like leave white space in these stories. And when you're telling two stories that run parallel, you're just kind of taking away white space from each other. And it kind of, it can kind of end up being distracting or deflating. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just like the natural outcome of like, because obviously you have to write one of them before the other one. And that's yeah, going to yeah. make an impact on how you think about the next one. And it's why it doesn't make sense to watch prequels first, because the the prequel, <laughs> despite yeah. taking place before, you know, the other movie is still going to be informed by it. Or it's like mm. watching like the disappearance of Yuki Nagatoro. Nagato, not not Nagatoro. <laughs> but but like watching that one before watching the melancholy of Haruhumi or Haruhi, uh, like Jeff, you need to do you need to do a Haruhi rewatch, is what I think. But then, but then from. you've also got to work out what order to watch Haruhi in, which is why I can't watch it. So what what you're saying is uh, is I should get all eight episodes of Haruhi up in uh, different different windows and uh, watch watch all the episodes of of Endless. Yeah, like that that should time. have been the nail in the coffin of that entire fad of like, look, we did I'm, eight in a row and in... yeah, but but, but, <laughs> but but hey, I'm I'm a believer. Like you should watch um in uh chronological order and then you should watch again in broadcast order because at least the first season of haruhi tells a very normal slice of live show and then if you rearrange all the episodes non-linearly it's the show of of a woman falling in, in love with a man who doesn't realize it and it it's genuinely more like compelling to watch it both ways mm-hmm. in a way that i was hoping that this would be and it's not because this is not kyoani at the height of their prowess adapting <laughs> like mm. some of the more exotic light novels out there at the time so yeah it's, um, it's like like we said it, it it fell over trying to explain both and not believing in the audience which is a shame i think because otherwise it would have been yeah. pretty, it would have been a lot more enjoyable i just want to machete order this these two movies into into one movie that right. just bounced back and forth because it kind of reminds me of another odd narrative presentation is uh ian banks's use of weapons where the first chapter is in the future and the second chapter is in the past and the chapters go closer and closer until um, the end of the book is where the two timelines, the one that's been moving forward, and the one that's been moving backward collide. And like you can do presentational stuff to, re- to reveal and you can show it, present information out of order to reveal stuff. And I think that the linearity of these, if they're going to do what they did, the like strong linearity of, of these two movies, except when they're sharing a frame story about, two old people who don't know each other meeting for some mysterious reason. Um, I think it, it honestly is something that it could have been remixed into something a bit more compelling or mysterious. Yeah. There is a There has been a couple of films where the whole movie is split screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, I'm seeing conversations with other women and time code. I've seen time code. Yeah. And so what, uh, just a minor production thing. Um, these are, done by two different studios which is oh, really? kind of incredible to me um like a pretty consistent visually mm-hmm. like that's unusual um yeah i guess i mean of... i mean it's worth mentioning like and mid pointing this out like into me the guy like uh koyomi aged but but kazune never aged until the very end whilst i felt that with uh to you they both aged at the same time in a similar way I I didn't notice that they were two different studios though. I think that's, that's yeah. I also think the color grading was slightly different, but I think that was intentional because like yeah, all the key possible. visuals yeah. are like color graded the same way. 
Yeah, that's definitely intentional. Like the hair is different for Kazune as well, just so yeah. you can tell the difference between the two timelines. Um, Which is weird because it's the only one they do it for. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. Well, I was like, oh, she has different hair in different timelines. And then like, why why teach me that as a viewer and then not use it anywhere else? <laughs> I figured it was because Koyomi, it's all from the perspective of Koyomi and it's all Koyomi's timelines that it's all based off, which is why he is essentially looking the same throughout. There's also like the, the Shiori of the uh, To Every You timeline has like markedly lighter hair when they're older. And there's like a moment when uh, Koyomi and Kazune are meeting on the roof and there's like a shot of a girl like seeing them and like it's never really remarked on but it it happens in also like the catch-up like montage of the other one and i'm wondering if that's supposed to be shiori because like her coloring is the same as the old lady at the end but that is even that is like you know that that might just be me reaching and that's just like to acknowledge that like she does exist in this other timeline she does look slightly different and yeah, yeah I, I think I think unfortunately, like reading character design tea leaves is something that every anime fan is trained to do. Yeah. But I have no idea. I had the same thought, but I had no idea if it was meant to be intentional or it was just same face. But also at the same time, like Shiori's character design is very clearly like, oh, it, whenever you see like a dark haired girl with a hime cut and a sundress, you know, something bad's going to happen to her. That's not necessarily true. I don't buy that. <laughs> I mean, on, on some level, I do think that this began life in the author's brain as a, like, Anohana slash Steinsgate kind of merger, where, and just, like, the visual design of, like, the Anohana girl and the Tuturu girl being so close to Shiori... Like, I think that might also just be, you know, when you're making an anime, you, like, use certain visual cues to tell the I audience who this sorry, person is. Sorry, sorry, I'm not, I'm not buying that at all. Like, that visual <laughs> style is in a lot, A, it's in a lot of fucking shit, and B, uh, the, the mangaka, the, the novelist has no indication as to, like, the author's, the, the anime's sort of depiction of her. Sure, there is the... The, the front novel the front cover of the visual no, of the novel but like like a white dress is 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 in fucking everything man it's every city pop album cover it, it's yeah. it's nothing it's nothing yeah. to do with the two move the two other anime that have some similar stuff to it i'm sorry i'm gonna shoot you right fucking down <laughs> what what was the hey, uh... no, hey no hey we, we just got jeff back to like project more meaning like we need this energy in our podcast come on jeff Read those leaves. I appreciate it. I'm sorry for being too harsh. I don't know. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, that she looks like those characters and those other things. And then it happened. So I feel vindicated in my own mind. <laughs> I do think that that, that, oh, that like the, the whole white sundress thing is kind of like shorthand for like summer and youth. And mm. I, I do think like using that as, as like the, the character who's left behind is not entirely uh incidental like that's clearly like a, ch- a choice they're making and nostalgia right it's a big nostalgia thing as well yeah especially for codified japanese audiences that's right well my guinness is empty and now i don't know about where the bubbles are going down or not so well, is, so is guinness really hard to get in japan because i'm talking <laughs> no. about bartender incidentally <laughs> oh. before because like because remember i remember jeff in, in um in episode 13 it's fine 
um, about like the guy mixing the the champagne or like make, doing a black and tan or doing like the champagne and Guinness pour and like freaking out about how like how thick and very viscous <laughs> Guinness beer is. And like, is that not well known or something? So, I feel like Japan would have a pretty big handle on the nature of beer, different styles of it, at least. It's all lager in Japan. Like there's no uh, sort of idea, ideals of IPA. Uh, certainly there is, I know for a fact, there's only one camera pub in Tokyo and I've been to it and they had a Guinness. And then it felt like that was very much the draw for that pub. So I would believe that whilst it wouldn't be impossible to get a Guinness in Japan, it's not what people usually go out to, to drink. Like usually people will have Sapporo or Asahi or uh, not the other one, but they're all lagers basically. And that's all the, the beer that they really care for there. So yes, I would believe that he has never had a Guinness or at least has never thought of a Guinness in a very long time um, since starting, <laughs> you know, starting work as a, lonely genius research scientist um and having this conversation with with uh Kazune. one interesting thing about the uh the production is that the director of to me the one who loved you is oh no they have different directors yeah uh is kenichi kasai who uh is actually kind of notable he did honey and clover uh nodumi Cantamount. He did a, a couple of other, yeah, couple of Bakuman. He's he's done a lot of big shows. Um, and the director of To Every You I've Loved Before is basically someone who has directed a couple of small shows which haven't been really well received. So it's kind of good to see like a director who's had basically three shows which have completely bombed and and we would have probably never have watched actually directed the one we thought was good and the guy who is like rom-com ro- royalty almost directed the one we was like yeah that's kind of a bit cliche and and maybe that's that's someone's a bit less caught in the traps of genre than the other one i i i, I do want to point out like y'all can look at the picture of uh of the love interest from uh bakuman which i put into the chat and you can tell me who she reminds you of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Ah. Yes. <laughs> very, very, very shiori. It's a vibe, I guess. I was gonna say uh, yeah. the love interest of Natsuno Arashi also. Yeah. Oh, that makes know. me think of Natsuno Arashi. Speaking of time loops. <laughs> speaking of causality. Speaking of jumping realities. Speaking of dark hair yeah. ghost girls. <laughs> speaking of taking a break, shall we end it there yes. and come yeah. back? And we're back. To start out, we're going to talk about Ara Battler Dunbean, a Tomino joint with Sunrise from 1983. Uh, Andy's going to talk a little bit about One Piece. Duncan is going to talk about the dangers in my heart. Did I get the preposition yeah, right, right, Andy? The dangers in your heart. <laughs> the dangers in my heart. The... <laughs> to your heart, to my heart. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so, um, 
we'll, we'll we'll get to this later. We'll get to this later. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But they do commit to it. Or a battler Dunbean has no has no ambiguity except whether you pronounce the last vowel in Dunbean. <laughs> yeah. Which, is it Dunbean uh, I, I am, or is it Dunbean? <laughs> I am firmly of the conviction that they are trying to come up with a fantasy name and they're saying, well, this is going to be fantasy, like which is the past. It's going to be Dun Ben, like like B E E B E N, like been done. Been done. Been Flipped around. Uh, done bean. That's terrible. That is dumb. Been there. Done bean. Yeah. I'm in this. I, 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 there's an alternate timeline where I'm in the Sunrise Riders room in the early 80s. <laughs> I'm the person who made everyone kill each other at the end of Space Runaway Ideon. Because um, I loved that bit. Anyway, uh, Jeff, are a battler done bean? Yep. It certainly is a Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> And and in a lot of ways, more more so than just like hot headed youth gets robot, but you know the, the basic characters, the basic like plot structure, very very similar. Also, like robot designs that are very clearly intended to be mass produced cheap toys for kids. Yeah, that don't look very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I showed a, a screenshot of like a unicorn knight charging in front of like a stable with a giant like space battleship in the background, and uh, he called it toyetic, like very very poised. Like how what a toyetic shot. I'm like, yep, all of those could be toys that you buy or at least models you build. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it is interesting that after Mobile Suit Gundam, they didn't quite move on to just like making tons of Gundams. They made Ideon, they made Zabungle, which I will probably never watch. But then again, I said the same thing about Dunbean uh, <laughs> a few years ago. They have Dunbean, and it's only really in the mid to late 80s that they, that they come back to Gundam to like make another Gundam. And that becomes like the giant robot franchise that that Sunrise focuses on. And so this early era when they're using the formula, but they're like, but what if, what if they're... It, the, the heroes are are people who've been teleported inside the hollow earth by a magical race of creatures that see the kingdoms inside the hollow earth as like a as like an idyllic heaven for humans but then war comes because one of the guys teleported in whose name is shot weapon is designing robots <laughs> and a belligerent kingdom is using them drake luft evil lord of the land of ah i guess is that right and then yeah. me is the one they're attacking Anakuni. they're all like doa deer kingdom names but uh, but yeah, I I don't. None of the characters are particularly deep. The conflicts are are decently political, but in that kind of like shallow Gundam way of like people have to choose sides and like war is coming. And yeah, I don't know. I I, I started out skeptical, but I think it's kind of a fun adventure and like learning about the world and the various magical races that live there while also playing out a very standard greedy lord attacks his peaceful honorable neighbor has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's cool that the, like the robots are giant, like kind of giant beetles with like wing, like they have jet packs, but they also have like diaphanous wings. And there's actually a moment in like, I think episode nine where one of the repair crews, like, why are they so, why are they so uncareful with these robots? It takes yeah. us a long time to repair them. And he's like showing how shredded the, like the bug wings of the, of the mecha are. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like the, the, the actual design <laughs> of the robots is cool. I will say that like having the big Hercules beetle, like shell pop up and that being the jetpack, like that just, it works visually. And I like the fact that, you know, it, you know, it often looks like a cape, which is like a motif that Gundam, you know, eventually starts <laughs> like copying as well. Um, I also really enjoy, and this was somewhat similar to Gundam, that the main sort of like crew of characters is 
like just constantly at each other's throats, constantly failing, constantly like yeah. acting on selfish impulses. And that made it for a like Tomino is really good at making stories that are very sort of like libidinally driven where, you know, and he's, you know, he's famous for describing his method of designing, you know, female leads as, you know, he imagines what would get his male lead horny. And that is very much on display throughout all of the female <laughs> characters in this show where you have like Marvel frozen with her, like, like eternally like sparkly like glossy lips and her like extreme bedroom eyes like i've never seen anybody like trying to fuck me through the screen harder than when she like first <laughs> lays her eyes on shozama in that like meeting with you know between the two lords and stuff like that uh and then you also no, have it's, it's great when they it's great when they first meet and and she just like pops open her canopy and is like hey you're fighting for the wrong side and he's like what and she's like defect right now or i'll kill you and he's like i i don't know what's going on she's like okay fine i'll kill you yeah and it's like very very bossy but in a tomino way which <laughs> yeah. sexy bossy yeah yeah I, and yeah i really like that tomino just kind of like so it's like you know like, japanese people will just do war crimes if a dictator tells them to because like you know they're they're, they're suiting up for battle and the first time he's like i don't know who you are or where i am or how I got here, or what these robots are, but I am Japanese, so I am down to fight. <laughs> <laughs> like that's pretty much word for word, like his justification for joining up. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to the American, and then there's a Russian who just disappears after the second episode, and yeah. I don't really know what happened to he, him. He gets killed. I guess he died. Yeah, they they okay. they're like, oh, it's a shame that guy I, died. I blinked oh, well. and missed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I like I I think I like like jump back a couple of. Uh, uh, a couple of minutes when they were talking about him in the like in the past tense and i was like oh yeah i guess there was a guy who like crashed at some point in that fight <laughs> so yeah i'm excited to watch more because 49 episodes is a lot and i'm only 10 in and they're they're really doing i do kind of wish that like if it's it's such a medievalizing setting a, a european medieval setting that like the fact that like all the lords act like greedy samurai during the sengoku jedi is a bit different of a feel to me and i kind of wish that they but this is like we're in 80 we're in 83 like mm -hmm. like T Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons haven't like injected this like very static understanding of what western fantasy looks like that um that every single western fantasy anime will repeat over and over until the end of time yeah um so there is this kind of like much more like oh i should betray my lord but it would be dishonorable and i think i'm like oh most most medieval lords in europe would gladly betray a belligerent idiot who is starting a war for no reason but that's much more of a samurai or a daimyo thing to like obsess over of like i i have been sworn to an unworthy lord and this is a very difficult thing for me to reason out over the course of multiple episodes mm -hmm. like the kiss how the house of kiss which is yeah great all the names are great i mean shot weapon sucks hard i wish that tomino like someone had been like hey i speak english and this is too obvious marvel <laughs> yeah. frozen's on the very edge there but um but yeah all the names are pretty fun uh yeah and yeah, yeah. and i also kind of missed the the era where you know you just had like a weird goofy mascot as a uh like comedic relief like you have cham the the little fairy who seems to be <laughs> like 
like like I, I I've been reading Berserk recently, and Puck is uh-huh. you know he he pretty much like directly you know speaks you know breaks the fourth wall and says I'm here because otherwise this manga would be too much of a bummer, and <laughs> like this like he seems to be lifted like directly out of this show where you have these just kind of like goofy like fairy characters who are just there to like be oafs and to be laughed at. Which is it's the me Ferrario. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the A Ferrario who are the actually powerful like magic ladies who live in a storm at the top of the world. Yeah. It, it basically it's like a hollow it, earth thing. Yeah. Because like, yeah, they live in like the bottom of the ocean or something. Just <laughs> also the top. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, it, it's fun. It's fun world building. I'm learning about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fights are fine. Um, the art is good until it is obviously traced from old cells. Um, but that's the way things worked in the early 80s yep. and a long time after. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to talk more in a tween about this with Jeff once we both get through. But as I said, it's 49 episodes, yeah, so it's going to take, take a minute. Anyway, speaking of never finishing. <laughs> speaking of never finishing, uh, One Piece, the anime that uh, will never end, and the manga that they swear is going to end. It's not going to end anytime soon. Um, he's, he's promised this like four times. It's never going to end. And I don't want it to. But what I would like to say is, is the latest uh, three episodes, uh, which at this time of writing is uh, 1,071 Luffy's Peak Attained Gear 5 over to 1,073. has been pretty impressive. I don't watch all of the One Piece anime anymore a i don't have the time to and b the anime has really gone downhill since the mid 500s and even that is a long way away <laughs> <laughs> um like you, you can watch stuff at the beginning of the wanakuni arc and they purposefully slow it down they purposefully add long pauses between character conversations who are in the same room and it's understandable why they've done it because they're going you know they want to do a chapter an episode so that they're not catching up with the the manga but now they've gotten to one of the biggest sort of moments in one piece actually i guess if you want to put a spoiler warning on this is the spoiler warning um luffy attains gear five which is basically like his next level up of power um his power is over the nine thousand. Uh, super double sage in blue <laughs> this is as t- at time of writing this is the most powerful he's ever gonna get but it is a really fucking insane power that i love it is basically t- he has the ability to not only turn um himself into rubber as he is a rubber man but also everything around him also turns into rubber too um and he then also has a complete character change too, where he's got white hair and he acts, he doesn't stop laughing and he, he acts really goofy and the animation is fucking on point. Like when I read the manga of this, I was like, I can't wait to see this animated because it looks insane to the point where it is just like full on Looney Tunes style, which is what a lot of people are attributing it to. And it's absolutely the case. Like he gets smacked with a, with a mace, which has got like spikes on and then his face just inhabits like 
copies like the face of the mace it's like embedded in him like a looney tunes character and then he just he runs i, I i've i've watched uh, some clips of this on on youtube and it's like his like it's he's got his nose is one of the spikes yeah, or something yeah, exactly i mean his legs and body are like dangling in the air and then they sort of like move from left to left right then it comes on free and then his face is still like in this warped weird state as he's running away from kaido and like, I'm so happy. They've gone full on, like, stupid cartoon noises, stupid... Oh, anim- that, that was glorious. I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I love the way... Yeah, he's got the full, like, legs, like, running along. And, like, there's some... And the animation is also gorgeous. Like, the, the bits where he's talking about the beat of his heart yeah. and it's different than what it normally is. And then, like, the, the you see the beat as, like, this sort of sketched over like visual like fireworks effect and then like the whole of the scene changes colors was absolutely delightful like you you don't get this in like a a weekly public public publicized anime just don't get this level of animation uh and level of freedom um i i absolutely loved it and and then a small side note on that yamato who's like this slightly androgynous like female character always refers to herself as boku has like very strong male uh leaning affirmations like uh, and beliefs and is very clearly like another a better attempt to oda doing a trans character as opposed to sort of like mr two bong clay or all of the fucking you know what never mind um it's a she's a really great character or he's a really great character um and the way that they've also made them more buffer like stronger thicker arms is a is a design choice that oda never did and i really appreciate it because it it just makes an interesting character even more interesting because they've actually bothered to make the design feel like it fits their tone a bit more that's what I want to say. Like the latest three are just out, out of this world. And also just like, they're still padding. Like it's still a chapter, an episode, but the way that they've done the padding, the way they've hyped it up, it's just so much more enjoyable and so much better than, than what they've been doing at the beginning of the same arc. That's what I've got to say. I feel like at some point we're going to get a, a, a Sukuga blog uh, post on, on these couple of episodes. Cause it, it, it feels like Oda did just cr- basically create a power, which is like, do are you an anima- animator who likes doing super deformed characters? Do you want someone who literally deforms the world around him? Here, <laughs> go go wild, go 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 hog wild. Just do do whatever the hell you like here. And it's as Andy says, it's just like incredibly free and just going for it happily. And it, that has this incredible manic energy, and I was I enjoyed just watching like a this like three minute clip of it, and like yeah, just just watch that clip if you if you don't want to watch one thousand and seventy four episodes of One Piece, just search <laughs> uh, Luffy Gear Five on yeah. YouTube, and you'll get some pretty astounding animation. As a power up, as as like a level in sort of character like. <clears throat> anime character leveling i really like it's gotten a lot of flack mostly from the east i think because people think it's too fucking dumb but i love it because it's dumb it feels like it's such an emphasis for like normal shonen battle protagonist leveling where they just get more and more buff and more and more quote unquote cooler 
Um, mm-hmm. And it just completely sweeps that underneath the rug with this like absolutely insane, crazy, loony like decision, um, which also still fits with Luffy's character. And that's the most impressive mm. thing. Like his whole thing about being a joyous, being constantly happy, being constantly like antagonistic and and not following the rules, I think just makes the whole arc just so much more better and Oda's such a great mangaka for for thinking of doing this way and having the balls to be like yeah this is how this is how my character is going to like level up he's not going to get more buff he's not going to get yellow hair he's going to get white hair and he's going to laugh and he's going to fucking do the goofiest dumbest shit in the world and you're going to have to live with that like yeah (laughs) it's great I think it's a wonderful just expression of the idea of a hero changing from just being someone who affects himself to someone who affects the world. Yeah. Like just as a metaphor for that, it's, it just really works as just as a concept as well as just allowing animators and Oda himself just to have a hell of a lot of fun with the visuals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to see One Piece can uh, still make uh, people happy uh, by just going off and doing what it does best. Although, as you say, it probably also makes people angry by going off and doing what it does best. But you can't please anyone. This is the internet. You, you can't. You can't. And there are definitely people who are just expecting a Shonen battler. And I would say, fine, watch literally any other one because they all do the <laughs> same fucking thing. And One Piece did as well to a degree, but now it's not. And I love it. Yeah. Excellent. Anyway, talk about something else that I think is fucking excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Andy's supreme taste episode. (laughs) Yeah. The dangers in my heart is Flowers of Evil meets uh, Kimi no Toke. Toke. It's basically what if uh, instead of uh, Nakamura, your lead girl was in fact a uh, basically a human hamster uh, who is constantly stuffing her cheeks full of uh, food in the in the library. And it is is full of nothing but joy and uh, uh, silliness. Mm-hmm. I have a question. I have a question. The dangers yeah. in my heart. Is this an enumeration of all the dangers in my heart, or is this <laughs> like where like the location of the danger? <laughs> so the the danger is the fact that that Kyotaro, who is the main protagonist, his 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 guard has come down, and he's realized he's falling in love with Anna, and the dangers relate to his edgy tuny thing of being into serial killers and using that as a as a means to protect himself from other people the the danger is love of course (laughs) yeah i appreciated their commitment to it uh, with the episode titles being like uh basically uh clinical records it's like oh it's like this is him slowly getting cured Mm. of of his complex over his his worth because he was a uh, a smart kid had a high opinion of himself had friends who were a uh, part of a group who he who similarly were high achievers and then they got into their private schools and he flunked the test and ever since then he's he's felt like he is apart from everyone else and, and yet he also hates himself for for feeling that way because his identity which he built built himself up as being part of this group of high achievers is basically destroyed when he fails to fails to get in and he's got to get past this view of himself as someone who doesn't need other people and get through to a, a point where he's 
happy to accept oh yeah <laughs> this is me who's like oh human bonds <laughs> yeah. yes. I, the yeah. origin of all evil is the insistence that you don't need other people <laughs> it, it is it is yeah. a constant delight that his his the biggest pains that he have is when he is uh open honest and like adorably in love and and expresses it and then instantly regrets expressing it like the the first episode ends with him trying to get a uh like a, a, a yankee kind of uh playboy uh show uh trying to get him away from anna by throwing his bike down at them and it hitting and going into a river like that's and then that just is like a complex for him from then on basically you like the, you like this show now. You didn't when you started. I think how much I like the show pretty much dovetails perfectly with how much uh, Ishikawa likes himself. In the first first mm-hmm. episode, he pretty much hates himself and pretends he hates the world. And at that point, he's pretty annoying. And as as he gets <laughs> over that, I like how it's him and y- Yamada's uh, relationship. You 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 praise how it grew like little bit by bit, and I th- I think. He, that that holds up really well, like it, a slow, slow growing romance, which does have a these nice tipping points where something something happens and it, it, they just get a little little closer. And I appreciate mm. how it is aware of the tropes of the genre and the characters are aware of the tropes of the genre, and it finds good little ways of navigating around them, of having moment of where they recognize their feelings is where they have a little argument because of a misunderstanding and that he, mm-hmm. he just gets, he, he goes back to his original shut in self where he's like convinces himself. He's, he's not worth anything. And in doing so he hurts uh, Yamada. He makes her really upset. And what gets him past that is the fact that he cares for her and is able to, make that effort for her behalf and like that's a, a wonderful sweet little moment you, you've got the the classic uh supporting cast of gals which every romance needs um i'm not sure why but it's it's a recurring thing and it, it's uh, long may it continue your mother is is very charming as well you can see why he falls for her uh even if like mm. as, as i say like like she she's constantly just squirreling away food and the the shot you will see again and again is her like turn into the camera like half a of eat half eaten piece of food in her mouth she's simultaneously supposed to be the the cool kid and because she is like a model and yet she they demystify her fully by just having her be a bit of a dumbass and uh a bit of a klutz and mm-hmm. I know you and Jeff have gone on from past the the runtime of the show i and I sort of wonder how much. Uh, legs does it have once they actually start uh, being a, a couple because i i feel like so much of the as as i say like the, the whole premise of this season has him been him getting past his uh lack of self-worth and and recognizing that his angie madder's feelings are are worthy of uh, being expressed and and then both expressing it and so once you've done that, then what is is always what romance is 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 ask the questions of themselves. So, does, do you think it keeps it up, or does it, or do they do the classic thing of, well, they they, they no, they're just dating, but no one actually not actually dating. To answer your question, I think there are so many moments after they start going out, uh, which I find 
so memorable and so adorable and so like honest to sort of kids going out at that age. There's there's one great moment where they go to like a concert and she she appears early and he runs into a friend, one of these high school friends who got into the higher club that like the high school that he didn't get okay. into and they have a conversation and she appears and then is like, Oh, she's my girlfriend and then she leaves and he's like, Why why did you leave? And he she was like, I thought you wanted to talk to him without me and I was like, No, I wanted to I wanted to talk to him with you to show off like you basically because <laughs> I love you and it's on one hand it's it's very selfish but on the other hand it's very sweet it's like yeah he's prepped for something he's got he's finally acquired something that he's proud of and he works for and he wants to keep and like that little interaction is really sweet for like a beginning of a of a romantic relationship but the latest chapter they share their first kiss and it's adorable I just love it. Yeah, constantly, constantly exciting. It constantly reminds me of like my first love, of of having your first kiss, of of doing your first thing with someone you love, and it's constantly sweet and gets my heart a flutter and being like, oh. <laughs> it's your heart a danger. <laughs> yeah, my heart, my heart does go a danger. I don't know. How do you feel, Jeff? Um, I'm just going to correct the record and say that I've only read about the first couple dozen, uh, chapters of the manga, oh, right. okay. uh, but right. it sounds like, uh, Ben had actually posted a article about the rise of the Reiwa era of like shonen romance where the, the, the relationship culminating becomes like just a turning point rather than the end. Hmm. And it sounds like this is another good example of, you know, now we've gotten together and now we're going to have an actual relationship. And it sounds like they've, you know, manga in general has finally listened to us and said, you know, saying that it's actually better when you have a, a show where there's people who are together rather than just getting together. Mm. And it's exciting mm. that Japan has listened to keyframes and has done what we want them to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very genre aware show, but not in a overt way. Like it, it has this mm -hmm. this little reference to for community. Basically, they have him reading a book and seeing a character, um, who, who he, and the lead of that being like a reflection of him, him not wanting to be that character, him wanting not to be trapped in this loop where he can't express his feelings to them. He wants to to get past that and not just be this cool aloof person but to actually just show his how he feels to Yamada and the fact that they have a supportive relationship after they acknowledge each other's feelings before any sort of formal thing goes on is still very very good I, the new year's slash christmas episode was great like mm. his his sister be trying hard to be a good wingman while at the same time making everything worse for both both him and anna's opinion it was uh is is a lot of fun to see her, her her basically being both older and wiser and yet susceptible to the exact same things that he is and for one full little moment where he's being pressured by one of the the jocks into trying to give him uh Yamada's line number he he's just like yeah don't worry I'll make it easy for you I won't tell her I'll pretend what a different girl gave it to me it'll be fine you you it'll never come back to you and he's like none of those reasons are why I'm not going to give it to you I I I I just don't want you to have her number <laughs> and just being like 
this is something she's given to me and that's important and I'm not going to just give it away to someone else. And the fact that one of the, the gals is secretly watching and just comes out and is like, you know what, uh, punk? And uh, I'm on his side, not yours, because <laughs> he's he's he treated her. He passed. He passed the test. He he treated her right, and uh, uh, respected uh, how she felt about him. And that 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 was something he wasn't capable of earlier on. And that yeah, it's just a very warm fuzzy show, which was very easy to watch. Glad to hear it. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, tune in next month. We'll be talking about the end of the anime season. Uh, I will be participating very little because I'm only watching Rent a Girlfriend, which Andy and I will have surprising opinions about. Yep, definitely. No matter how they play out. <laughs> uh, and the rest of people are watching some other stuff. Uh, but in the meantime, rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Find us on X. <sighs> <laughs> At Keyframes Pod, email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend about uh, to every you I've loved before and to me, the one who loved you. <laughs> but not just just any friend, uh, Ben. I, I would I would uh, choose the friend <laughs> who swears they're from a different timeline and then also wants to see a ghost at a crossroads. And has also <laughs> never drank a Guinness, like some of them any one of them really. the friend who's never drunk a guinness but does come out with a beer to scream at a ghost at a crossroad <laughs> multiple times during his life while the ghost is like please go live your life <laughs> tell that person to listen to our podcast instead yeah say goodbye everybody goodbye Bye, goodbye I, I do I do like the fact that the, a, a ghost at a crossroad is just such a, a typical urban myth. Like, it, it just feels like such a generic, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a, if you go there at a certain time of day, you see this ghost at the crossroad, and it's like, yeah, yeah. That's that's the, the foundation we're building our, our time ro- romance on. <laughs> I was... I was briefly, like, the idea that he could go to any reality and there will always be the ghost who he feels responsible for creating at the crossroads, no matter like what sequence of events gestured towards a much cooler movie. Briefly yeah. For me. Yeah. That uh, was the, that we've, we've, <laughs> yeah. That, that was the one bit I liked when he realized it's not connected to, it's not connected to the realities, but connected to him. That was the one bit yeah. where I was like, that's interesting. And then yeah, was, that's interesting. Yeah. But then he fixed it. That's the end. And we didn't have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> he just fixed it. Uh, well, anyway,